Welcome to the FinTech Today podcast with your host, Carlos Cabrera, where everything is unfolded from FinTech news, personalities, and stories just for you. Hello, everyone. This is your host, uh, Carlos Cabrera for uh, FinTech Today. It's uh, a pleasure to have you uh, with us today. And we have a, a very interesting guest uh, with us uh, in this episode. His name is Stuart Davis. He is the Executive Vice President and Global Head of Financial Crimes Management at Scotiabank. He's been uh, a um, regulator and involved in financial uh, in finance since 1990 and in AML since 2003. He's, he's had uh, uh, interesting roles and led leadership roles and um, in compliance and risk management from uh, renowned institutions such as BMO to Capital One. And he's also the co-chair of the uh, Canada's Department of Finance Advisory Committee of Money Laundering and Terrorist Finance. And also he holds a Bachelor of, of Economics with high honors from the University of Georgia. Uh, welcome, Stuart. It's an honor to have you with us today, exploring these important issues that you are passionate about. Welcome. Well, thank you, Carlos. I very much look forward to the discussion. Yeah, can, can you share with us how effective the current anti-human trafficking efforts are? And what do you feel are the current uh, limitations? When we, when we think about anti-human trafficking the efforts, it's, it's obviously an area that the industry is getting better at, as well as the government and the law enforcement sectors. Uh, you know, this is a problem. Human trafficking has been a problem with mankind for uh, thousands of years. Uh, it's taken many forms uh, over the ages, but recently we're dealing with areas like labor trafficking, uh, sex trafficking, and the exploitation of children. Uh, it's a growing problem, especially after the pandemic. Uh, there was a huge spike in a lot of the uh, online uh, trafficking of children that has particularly drawn the interest of law enforcement and some of the regulatory work that uh, I'm participating in to, to help bring banks uh, and increase the, the reporting around this type of activity. And do you, um, can you tell us more about, I understand that you were involved into a, pro into a project, Project uh, Protect, which you um, successfully uh, you're, you're leading. Uh, can you tell us more about this project? Yeah, Project Protect uh, is actually, uh, you know, a multi-person effort that, that started around 2015. Uh, there was a, uh, a woman who is the victim or a survivor of human trafficking now uh, who spoke at an ACAMS conference in Canada. And her, her testimony, her experience uh, prompted uh, one of my team members at the time, Peter Warwick, to raise his hand and say, you know what, we'll get involved. And he brought that back to me. And uh, we started uh, speaking with the regulators, speaking with uh, this survivor organization and say, what can we do? Uh, from that was birthed a, a, a coming together of multiple banks across Canada, uh, uh, what ultimately became known as Project Protect and how do we you know, protect uh, uh, survivors of human trafficking. And we focused on typologies and what typologies are indicators of human trafficking in, in financial systems. How can banks detect it? You know, how can we use the news to help us identify uh, this type of activity? 
And this launched officially in 2016 uh, with an operational alert published from FinTrack. Uh, we work very, very closely with our, our government, uh, FIU, uh, FinTrack in the case of Canada to bring this to pass. And so it was very unique, uh, both globally, but also domestically to start a public-private partnership with the government working with industry to say, let's focus on a social good issue and, and make a difference here. Uh, so that's grown. Uh, and the level of reporting by banking institutions uh, over the period of time has increased uh, nearly a, a thousand percent uh, from where it was initially. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, most of the disclosures to law enforcement done by FinTrack moved from what they call uh, reactive, where law enforcement was reaching out to them, to proactive, where they were identifying information that law enforcement did not know about with regard to human trafficking. And so it's resulted in a real uh, impact in Canada but it's also Project Protect and the subsequent projects that that has launched have really caught on internationally and uh, in the spirit of public-private partnerships and what working together, industry, government, uh, the private civic sectors and, and uh, charities and NGOs, what impact we can collectively make in making this world a better place. That's, that's great. And it's uh, sometimes very difficult to garner that support from um, especially NGOs and uh, and nonprofits that have a limited uh, a limited budget. So that that's great, and definitely you have to uh, in in this time tell us a little more. How do you find that this uh, say this project is different, say from Project Shadow, which in in uh, so far the research that I did tended to have a, a, a slightly different uh, focus. What, uh, what's your take on these two important projects that you have led in so far? Yeah, so uh, Project Shadow was uh, something we recently launched here in Canada about uh, two years ago now, and I'll tell your listeners a little bit about that. Project Shadow is focused on the online uh, sexual exploitation of children. And again, what financial transactions can we see related to the purchase and or distribution of this uh, nefarious content. Uh, according to the uh, NECMEC, which is the national, the U.S. National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, they've seen almost, uh, you know, a 100% increase in reports uh, related to online child sexual exploitation. And I think a couple of years ago, there were like over 60,000 reports that NECMEC just sent up to the, the same type of center in Canada for a one year period. So the amount of online content uh, that's uh, potentially uh, showing the exploitation of children is just, it's mind blowing. And uh, it's, it's harmful content, uh, it's insidious, and it's something that I think many, many people say has to stop. So back to the origination of Project Shadow, um, we started hearing through some of our contacts internationally about some discussion. Uh, with the tech firms on, uh, you know, uh, ch child online exploitation. And we thought, you know what, we need to get involved. And we got involved. Uh, we we uh, participated in a forum at the Vatican of, of all places. And it really resounded, uh, you know, globally that a lot more can be done. 
we were the only bank there at the time, but we did bring uh, our, uh, our FinTrack with us because we had had such success with our public-private partnerships. And we brought the uh, Canadian RCMP, and we brought along the uh, Canadian Center for uh, uh, Missing and Exploited Children. And so with, with, with the four of us, you know, uh, inspired by that event, we came back and, and launched a Project Shadow following the same model that had been successful with Project Protect and our other projects to say, what can we do here in Canada? Not really thinking at the time that it would go global, but uh, once we got this launched, it, it was such a natural thing for us to bring this to much more of a global stage. And we've been working extensively with the UNODC, uh, some, some other uh, emissaries and uh, uh, leadership groups to make the change. And recently uh, I joined the board of an organization called the We Protect um, Global Alliance. And it's, a, it's an organization based out of Europe that is uh, absolutely focused on, on this very theme. And again, you know, bringing the financial perspective uh, to uh, groups that are, are trying to solve this problem, I think, has been a game changer. For sure. And one thing that I'd like to uh, explore with you is usually do, do you feel that, that the, uh, the red flags and the way to uh, the approach that so far you're leading is, say, with, with this uh, global alliance that we protect global alliance is, is is can it be the same say uh, for um, a, a a nonprofit a, a non-finance uh, institution than a bank or you know or does it can it be the same um, overall yeah you know the red flags uh, can vary by region they can vary by country they can vary by industry I mean obviously the travel industry has different red flags than perhaps the the financial sector or the hospitality industry may have different red flags. The tech industry is going to have their red flags. So, you know, what we're seeing more these days is uh, groups attempting to put together a compendium of those red flags and connect the dots. Uh, the UNODC has done a big piece on um, um, uh, human trafficking. That's a, really a kind of an all encompassing thing. Uh, the online child sexual exploitation of children is a, is a form of human trafficking, if you mm -hmm. would be, you know, so discreet, but it's uh, the red flags and the work done. Uh, we have actively participated in, in that. Uh, remember my team, Joe Mari helped uh, the UNODC with their compendium, but uh, we've seen a number of those issued. Uh, there's also a, a efforts being done by these groups, such as the We Protect Global Alliance that do the do uh, international uh, risk assessments and threat assessments of how pervasive are crimes such as the online exploitation of children and other forms of, of child trafficking. Um, and um, there's many, many groups and NGOs involved in that. So I don't want to diminish the roles of any, uh, but it's, it's really starting to, I think, take hold and make an impact and, and create recognition of a serious problem. One of the biggest challenges uh, I think that's out there, Carlos, is just people don't see the problem or they don't think it's pervasive in their country, but you know, it goes on in, in countries like the U.S. extensively, um, especially because, you know, online child sexual exploitation is largely a point and click and 
crime that's done offshore where the crime is actually committed offshore, but the consumption of the material is committed onshore, which itself is a crime as well under most jurisdictions. Uh, but that's happening in the US, it's happening in Canada, but it's also happening, uh, often these crimes are actually happening in, uh, directly in the abuse of these children in, in you know, uh, countries we might uh, normally talk about. Uh, well, I won't name them, to, uh, not to offend anyone, but it's very, very pervasive. I see. Yeah, it's uh, definitely it's something that needs to be uh, attacked, like you were saying, tackled from different, uh, different sides. They, um, in terms of what you envisioned for as, as the medium-term goals of of the of your efforts, do you do you think that alerts are at the core of achieving greatest greater uh, success into uh, into this, or does your focus uh, would tend to uh, go somewhere else? You know, I think I think alerts uh, alerts are generated by running models and in, in, in banking institutions that use red flags and typologies and and frankly adverse media uh, that uh, you know is is publicly available to detect patterns of of activity that could indicate you know human trafficking, uh, child sexual exploitation, or any other uh, predicate offense or financial crime. Now. In most jurisdictions, reporting on predicate offenses is not uh, required, but what they do require is once money starts moving related to a crime, it does become money laundering at that point and uh, is a reportable event. And so when I think about, you know, where this is headed is uh, and, and where we've been, uh, alerts and red flags are part of that, but also information sharing, effective information sharing mechanisms uh, is a very important part as well. And that's what the public-private partnerships are about. Now in Canada, we have very restrictive privacy legislation where we don't engage in sharing uh, customer names or anything of uh, personal identifiable information, unless it's publicly available, such as in the press. Uh, but what we do uh, share is those typologies and those um, red flags, uh, how to program those, how we can uh, better utilize uh, data science, such as machine learning and natural language processing and uh, some other advanced forms uh, to figure out what's the best way to collaborate and, and share information, or at least identify it within our own banks. In the U.S., on the other hand, you know, if you have a crime, uh, there are information sharing mechanisms. And in some foreign countries, there are information sharing mechanisms as well. So we're really, you know, you have to take this on a country by country basis, a case by case basis and figure out what, what's appropriate for, for banks. Uh, but at the core of this, just having a good system where you're looking, generating alerts from the red flags and looking at them extensively with your team and creating that own awareness within your team and in the, in the regulators so they know what to do with it once you make the report. Uh, is is incredibly important for sure. And so you you believe that the solutions uh, in the future would need to be catered or focused on on a case by case uh, scenario, not a global uh, sort of uh, solution. I think it's a region by region scenario mm -hmm. or country by country scenario because each country is different the impact of uh, human trafficking and online child sexual exploitation 
and are they a producer or are they a consumer of, the, of that horrible material is you know, a question that needs to be asked. And the red flags are different for those types of things. Uh, the law enforcement is different in each country. So the laws are different for prosecution. So you know, this is a whole ecosystem. It's, it's the banks, it's the NGOs working together. It's the, it's the uh, FIU working with law enforcement. It's the judicial sector. In, or, in order for uh, the world to make an effective dent and stop, uh, you know, human trafficking and, and online child sexual exploitation, and uh, it, it really takes this whole ecosystem working together. And there's different levels of maturity across the globe uh, within regions. One thing we've discovered in some countries, law enforcement doesn't talk with the uh, FIU, for example. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's right. uh, an area we've been uh, participating and championing for change as well. I see. Well, they definitely, um, there's a lot to be done and you're a part of it. So that, uh, that's something that, uh, you know, it's in our field in, in, uh, finance, it's even though it's common, but, um, you definitely stand out as one of the, um, the, uh, bearers of, uh, the high standard bearer of this. What do you think in, in, um, in the future, it would be the uh, would any of these programs will shape up like you know as we look forward to the future I'd, I'd first and foremost i'd say this takes a team right i just i do a little part but there's many many others that are contributing and i'd encourage people just to get involved do a little bit uh we all have day jobs too but you know uh if, if you're really passionate about making a difference in this world this is a, a great way of, to get involved and, and something that's motivating both personally, but I think for, for many people professionally as well. And so I'd encourage that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of many engaged in this, and I think it's the collective success of, of all of our efforts that's starting to make an impact, but there's so much more work to do. So as we look toward the future, uh, you know, seeing uh, the use of some of the new technologies that are now coming to market is, is something I'm excited about. Um, the, uh, there's things called privacy enhancing technology, which, uh, uh, or PETs for short, which allow you to share information without actually ever revealing that information. So if you're sharing it with someone else, they don't know that you shared a particular name. Um, and they may not even know what name they shared, uh, to be frank, but then at the end of the day, they know they have a potential alert on a particular, um, individual without the basis of any uh, public or you know uh, privacy compromising disclosure that's kind of one area that i think is a bit exciting uh, on the other hand uh, you know i would comment that privacy is often thrown up as an obstacle to making a difference in this space which is really disappointing you know the, to see human trafficking and i've heard that again and again and you know it's just it's just horrible to hear that so i think some of these new technologies uh, take away that argument and really create a environment where impact can be made. I'd also say that, you know, um, uh, we're very excited about, uh, you know, what the possibilities of uh, encryption and other public-private sharing models that are being formalized globally. There was a study a year or two ago of uh, public-private uh, models, and I think there were over... Um, 70 models, uh, if I recall correctly, and, and 40 countries involved or, or something like that. 
And so the continued growth of those and the formalization of those is, is a very exciting trend to see. For sure. And uh, do you have, uh, do you expect uh, blockchain to play a significant role into, into this new programs that are actually being built at the moment? Well, it's a great question. I mean, uh, one, one point I'd make is the blockchain and associated technologies are being used sometime to move the money for these heinous crimes. Mm. Uh, but the, the trackability, the, the transparency of that blockchain type structures create ultimately will probably lead to uh, identification of, the, of some of these crimes and, and prosecution of individuals. You know, we just saw uh, it was four or five years in the making, but a, a very large uh, hack that was ultimately traced down. So while it may be not immediate and people think they can get away by using uh, virtual currency to hide their, their criminal activity, I think it's going to be a matter of time and, and, and data science before ultimately this catches up with them. But no doubt in my mind, uh, blockchain uh, technologies um, have both been a vehicle for the criminals to use, but it also becomes a tool for law enforcement as we as we look forward to the future. I think we will also see future enhancements of uh, blockchain helping with uh, the core problems of, of privacy, um, licensing rights to individuals, and and all other types of uh, um, means that ultimately may have a role or play out in the space. It's, it's hard to say where it goes. However, there are a number of virtual currency companies that are actively participating in the fight against human trafficking as the banks are. Many of them are now becoming subject to the same regulations. So it's great to see uh, them do their part and, and help make a difference in this world as well. Well, thank you so much, um, Stuart, for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, I'm very sure that uh, our audience have learned a lot of from, from this episode in which you uh, share with us uh, the, uh, you know, the different programs and, and one of what's being done at the moment. Thanks so much. We appreciate your time and wish you the best in the future. Well, thank you, Carlos, for having me. And as I said, uh, just get involved. Let's all make a difference together. Thank you. Thank you very much.